If you turn to Matthew chapter 13, we'll pick up where we left off. Yeah, I kind of want to redo some parts of that title, but that's it. That's the best I could do. Beware the terrors, the birds of the air, leaven and mustard, so be aware. Or it could have been shorter. Maybe some of you will prefer that. Beware, be aware. So Jesus moving through these parables, which are again instructional literary um, tools of his teaching to be able to speak to those who have ears to hear, eyes to see, hearts that are fashioned after his will, and to not, by the power of his word, create an opportunity in which those whose hearts are not for him, they have an agenda that does not glorify him, they're not going to be compelled by his power, his strength, his compassion. We talked about that last week, and part of it is related to grace. Can God's grace be so compelling that we have no choice? It's better to say it is so overwhelmingly persuasive that we want to choose. Not that we have no choice. It's so overwhelmingly persuasive of how good God is that we want to choose him as he chose us first. So we move through these parable teachings in which his audience seems to be in the multitude. And so I'm sure he had no problem with his voice on this one. And we move into understanding at least three distinct areas that concerned him that he wanted to reveal to this multitude. It's practical insofar as giving us a clue on what to be mindful of, to be aware of, so that we don't end up being victims of Satan. Implication of his influence is so noted in all of these passages. Jesus' heart and his mind was projected towards the time in which, as taking on the cross, he would pay for the penalty of sin, which was through his death, liberating us from the consequence, which was through the gift of faith and belief, and in so doing, having victory over the grave, which preceded us. He ratified what he came to do, which was to fulfill the law of God perfectly, accurately. In so doing our faith in him, we stand before the Father without blame. There are things, though, that relate to our own frailties and weaknesses that can cause us to stumble and fall, to lose footing and retreat, to no longer desire to follow God because the enemy has persuaded us, why bother? You've messed up this much. What else is there left to do? But that isn't our God. And the principles of Christianity aren't simply giving up, nor are they giving in. Rather, it's giving our burden to the Lord and allowing him 
in the discipline of what we do, we meet regularly, and to allow him to carry us to the table. The table's a picture of communion. We do that every Sunday. We do it every morning through Thursday. And part of that is just connecting with his body and connecting with his blood, just settling issues. Most importantly, just worshiping as the central theme of our life. So moving into these parables, notably just by the title, we're going to be talking about the contrast of wheat and tares. Birds are going to become prevalent to us, but it's linked to what is the last word, which is mustard. We'll see the correlation there. Leaven is a picture of sin. We'll look and see what the Lord tells us in the parable with regard to that. And then the Lord will describe to us what he means by all of it. He really narrates us through it, almost to the point where if I jumped there, the teaching would be over. But then I would feel so left out. So it's been prayed over. Let's go ahead and indulge. Pick it up at verse 24. Another parable he put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. So it doesn't say good men. It says good man. This field, which we alluded to last week when we talked about the heart and the hard heart and the soil that can be likened to it that needs to be tilled once there is a breaking up of that stony area of the heart. And we talked about perhaps or alluded to the methodology of the Lord. He lets circumstances, situations temperaments, people, failures to touch us in that area that by no other means necessarily can be done. Part of it is that we have issues with pride, and pride does a lot to both blind us and cause us to be mute. We are not able to accurately hear from the Lord, let alone being able to speak both reverently and as well submittedly to God. So you've been brought to that place before where there's nothing you can do but just hit your knees, fall on your face. Some literally fall on their faces. That one hasn't happened to be, praise God. And I say that in all reverence, meaning that a person can come to that point in time where literally just out of faintness in their spiritual life, they just collapse and I have heard and know of those. I think the worst that I did in a time of prayer was fall asleep over my Polonis room heater. So the Lord saved me from being a barbecued offering on that night. A little sweat was provoked. I was seeking the Lord just intently. And in my room, it was cold. And so I just hovered over this Polonis. Do you remember the Polonis, the ceramic heaters? Not the ones that have coils that are red. This is different. This draws you into a different kind of emergency. And so, you know, the Lord just called some things to my attention as I sweated it out over that box, realized that I'd been delivered from being put on fire. Now I was crippled in that 
way because all of my muscles being in that position for several hours, I couldn't get up. I was numb. So moving into this right now, this address that Jesus is making through these parables is to cause us to have an introspection, which is not to belittle us. It's to give us an opportunity to reflect literally on our responsibility to be aware and to be aware. And we want to do that. We want to be aware of the things that Satan puts before us to ensnare us and to steal our joy. And we want to beware of the protocols or precepts that God has spoken in his word for us. So you may say, wow, all of that out of one sentence. I deviated just a bit. And maybe for that, it's to encourage us in understanding what's unfolding right now. It's one man, okay? It's not a bunch of men. We're going to understand who this man is. But the kingdom of heaven is like a man. Now, if I stopped there, we have a problem. But the focus is actually not right on the man at this point in time. It just indicates there's one. And what he's doing is the focus. He's sowing. And in particular, he's sowing good seed. And this seed is in his field. He has every right to do it. His heart is for it. His responsibility to see that it brings up a harvest is, in fact, the effect that he has intentions of seeing through. You'll get the picture. It indicates that there's something, though, that happens at a time in which there should have been an awareness of what's going on. It's mentioned right here at verse 25. But while men slept, singular, a man plants the seed, and it's good seed, it's good soil, it has an intention to do good. And then this next verse indicates that it's plural. Men slept. His enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. The enemy is the enemy of the man who sowed the seed. The men who fell asleep were in charge of keeping on guard. Jesus would mention on the night that he had been betrayed and ultimately would be satisfied in a regiment of men coming to be pointed to the Lord from Judas. And Jesus said, I'm going to go over there and pray. You remain here and stay in prayer. Only to come back after a session in prayer to find them asleep. Could you not wait for me for one hour? I always like that reference because sometimes it's important to link to the clock. I don't like LEDs. I like a clock that has numbers on it and a little second hand because the LED tells me where I'm at in that moment. The analog clock tells me what preceded where I'm at and how much more time I've got to make it. To where I can rest. Fascinated for only one season when the LEDs came out. Super expensive. I remember they were like 50 bucks and all it did was show just this one splotch of time. And I was so fascinated with the technology. 
And I did employ that technology when I was a marathoner, but I didn't even know how to use my chronographs. It didn't matter. I just looked like I knew what I was doing. But the Lord doesn't want us simply to look like we know what we're doing. He wants us to do what it is that he looks upon and says, good, that's where I want you. And you're on the alert. There are times in which we are exhausted and fatigued, and there's no doubt that this does yield to an understanding that these men weren't just cavalier. They weren't partying. They were tired. If I mentioned, I think, last week that Governor Huckabee, former Governor Huckabee, is announcing, you know, he's making a promo for a organic or holistic, you know, sleeping aid. I'm sure it's, it's primarily magnesium and some other fizzies in it. But then he paired up with Larry Gatlin, and Gatlin's got his gun guitar, which is actually called an axe in the music business. And Huckabee's got his bass. And they're guys that I do respect in both what they've done. And I'm kind of, yeah, I just need that. That's going to help me. And I probably do need it. But actually, I really need before that becomes my go-to, I need to go to him with frequency and say, I'm, I'm trying to be on guard, Lord. I'm wanting to satisfy the charge that I have over the field that I'm in. And remember, we've talked about fields. That's where you work. That's what you do. That's where you are able to have liberty to recreate. Some of you are in the retirement zone. I'm just tired and have to redo it again. I think I would like to enjoy retirement. I just think, I think it came to my twin brother, and I don't think it's going to come to me until I go up there. But this is specifically about the man who plants. It is now focusing on the men who had a charge over what he planted. It says that there's an enemy whose intentions were to do this. The intentions of the enemy were to place a counterfeit seed in that same soil so that indistinguishably it would confuse those who are intending to be the harvesters, and yet they will not know by their own discretion what one is over the other. On the cross back there, it was always my heart, all the way back in Calvary Rogue River, to have a cross in wheat. And I remember that the first time that I began to diagram it, I did so because I took this pattern off of the grange that we originally started the church in. It was this big sheave of wheat. And behind it was the cross. It was a massive sheave of wheat. And I thought, oh, this is so cool. And the Lord said, really? You've put that sheave of wheat to where only like a f two inches are sticking out of the cross that I hung on and just barely the place where my head was leaned back on and I had to reevaluate my artistic design. Got it wrong. So then I said, Lord, what if I just pare it down to like just some stems of wheat? And so all of these years that I wanted to do that, I didn't know how to do it until I performed a wedding here. And I was delighted to say, that's my answer after all these years. It's just a little. It's not going to get in the way of the cross. It will be pinned behind the cross. And it represents the harvest. 
the golden harvest. It's not a tear. A tear can have in what this place is an identity that you cannot distinguish unless you are a horticulturist. And so in this, Jesus is saying, you guys can get confused. Lord, what do we do? We're mad about this. We need to take care of business. This is what is going to be said. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. Notice this. There was already a harvest, and afterwards those things appeared following it, meaning that it's in a cycle. The tares are becoming evident in the second cycle. Very often, this being a picture, and it is, of false Christians, which is what it portrays, they come on the second harvest or the third harvest. It's why churches in what is intended to be the fruitful growth of them, though we will talk about the church, or Christians, the fruitful harvest of the Christians, they become entwined, not in the first harvest, but in the second or third or fourth, when the maturity of the tares rise up and it becomes indistinguishable. Are you one of us or are you one of them? And we're in that time right now where in not rightly dividing the word of God, we become unable to distinguish those that are false, like tares. The Lord knows not everybody that sits within a church is a true Christian, but it doesn't mean that those who sit in church as Christians are not being teared up. You can be teared up. You can find yourself seemingly without the identity that you want, the success that you've desired to experience as a believer. We've all been there. Some might call it backsliding. I think the Lord would just say, no, entangled in the tear. And our desire, our innermost desire is to not have that as an influence in our growth. So we go back to the beginning of what? The first harvest. We don't try to figure out what happened in the second and third and fourth harvest when there were tares. We go back to the beginning. In Revelation, the address to the church in Ephesus was, hey, return to your first love. It's always got to be that. Return to your first love. And every single person here, it is incumbent to take that for what it's worth and trust God for how much he values us. Will we become the young 20-year-old or the 30, 40, 50-year-old that we were when in the first harvest we were strong and so proud of our enlightenment, not moving into Eastern philosophy, but truly the light of God coming upon us that was meant to give us vision. And you know what? Doesn't hurt trying. Even for some of us that are older, it doesn't hurt trying. I've always admired those that in their aging process, they strive as 
youngsters in the faith because they know that's really the truth of the matter. Even though we go a little bit slower, I'm including myself in the going slow a little bit. I saw a brother get out of the car today and I admired him because he was doing stretching exercises. I was going, that's so cool. I'm such a coward of stretching exercises. Weightlifting, it doesn't have its attraction to me anymore. But actually what I was thinking is he's doing something that I haven't done, that actually I need to do. In the same context, there are things that we need to do that we've stopped doing that's good for us to give it a try. Pick back up on your midweeks. Pick back up on your Sundays. Pick back up on what it is the Lord first touched your heart with returning to your first love and see what he does to transact his authorship over your heart. Those are called revival moments. That's why whether or not we believe it, to be here in the house of the Lord is one of the best things that we could ever do to pay tribute to him on what he has allowed us to see and our confidence in where he's going to take us. It's one of the best things So the servants in verse 27 of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? See, there's, there's now an understanding. How now does it have tares? Indistinguishable, but, but now we're seeing things and we're seeing things that now need to be remedied. This is what he says. An enemy has done this. The servant said to him, Do you want us then to go and gather them up? First harvest? Great. Second harvest, more difficult. Third harvest, even yet more difficult. It's now becoming where you guys will mess up. I won't. And so my word is, let them grow up together. One reason is that there's always a dominant, you know, if you would plant agriculturally, some live symbiotically, but somebody's always seemingly giving more. But the idea here also is not to be confused. The Lord allows there to be intrusion of that which actually isn't one of the authentic variety of wheat to be in the field because he does care about the harvest and because that will include those who at one time were little weeds tumbling tumbleweeds, tears. He's saying, you can be one of us too, because I know how you were made and I know what you can become. Altogether different than what you are now. He allows us to actually be sitting next to thorns. Sometimes that may be the personality of a believer, but sometimes we get pricked by those who we say, what are you doing here? But the Lord says, why don't you tell them what they're doing here? Why don't you tell them how much I love them in being here? Many people that have come to sit in the house of the Lord have done so out of religious obligation. If I just sit there, I'll show God that I'm wanting to be better. I'll just be better. I'll check off the, I went to church today. But the Lord actually is showing those who come and who are planted among those who are authentic believers, actually have an opportunity to see what it means to be wheat. 
golden wheat. Christy and I took a motorcycle ride on our first anniversary across the United States, and we saw what the song said. Those golden, those waves of golden grain. Thank you. Arlo Guthrie? Yes. Redwood Forest? Got it here. Good. Woody Guthrie. Arlo was his son. Alice's Restaurant. See? The next harvest, not so good. He could only sing about Alice's Restaurant. What was he doing there? And did he leave someone behind? Arlo had it. He observed the country. Don't know if he was a believer, but he definitely had the things that were put before him and he articulated in song. We used to sing that song in school. Does anybody remember singing from the Redwood Forest to the... Okay, good. That was what we did in school in those days. We saluted the flag, said hello to the teacher, gave an apple, and we sang in Woody Guthrie's song. How then does it have tares? He said to them, an enemy has done this. The servant said to me, want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, no, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. In our effort, human effort, with spiritual emphasis, we can take out those that are actually quite innocent. They're young. They don't understand and so there is a protective oversight of the church. I've had to do that sometime. I think I've had to do it twice here, not in this place, the other place, when we were getting our spiritual heft and learning about the planting season and the harvest. But those who came in, and they were not believers, and what they did is they made provocation to challenge the word that I was teaching. All the way back, if you can imagine this in Genesis, clearly remember it. The first midweek study I did was in Genesis. And he began to challenge me with vain philosophy. Just stood up, and it was as if he was authorized to interrupt the teaching. And some people who remember that night would not have presumed that I could have been so articulate in telling him what he needed to do. And there was no foul language. I was just very clear. You need to sit down and you need to be quiet. And if you are not, you will be removed by men who serve in this church. He didn't know it. I didn't have anybody that I necessarily had appointed to do it. I was totally speaking in faith. There will be men that will take you out. You don't want to mess with them. And he sat down. And then I extended the right hand of fellowship and I've never seen him again. That wasn't my problem. I prayed with him. That was the need he had. And who knows, maybe the men who, who saw me do that said, oh, I don't want to be an elder deacon. <laughs> so I just look up the congregation. You're behaving like an elder deacon. That's awesome. What do I do? Whatever the Lord puts on your heart. Oh, goody, that's awesome. You're not going to tell me what to do. No, just do it, man. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at that time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather together the tares. Notice what he's going to go after now first. He's going to go after the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. And what you need to understand is that in this scenario, these reapers in what they're doing, able distinctly to do what the ones who fell asleep on the watch couldn't do. 
they know who they're going after. There won't be any mistake. This is actually a judgment statement. You'll see that unfold. That's why at times we have to say, I'm going to leave it to God. I'm going to leave it to God. And that's important because we still have a generation. This won't work. I'll try it. We still have a generation that wants to leave it to Beaver. Come on, symbol crash. Okay, so I knew it wouldn't work. Meaning that there are alternatives other than leaving it to God. That was a TV program. You can research it. It was a great one. I grew up with it. I loved it. I loved Leave It to Beaver. Did I say Bieber? Second harvest. Third harvest. And he needs prayer because he was, he was raised to love God. He actually had a moment in which he was in a revival. So much he had done contrary to God's heart. He was saved and rededicated himself in a church in Australia, but the church in Australia had some problems. And that was later after the church in New York from that had problems. Because rather than leaving it to God, there was the leaving it simply on his own in the tears and not letting God make those wonderful, if you would, executed weedings and trimmings that he needed. So he's going to gather them into the barn. What? He's gathering the true Christians into the barn for the harvest. Those who were false never really desired to move beyond simply just being in the midst of people. They will enter into judgment by God. Another parable, verse 31, says this. He put forth to them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all the seeds, but when it is grown, it is greater than the herbs and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. This is false growth. That's why a packed-out church isn't necessarily indicative of sold-out believers. It's nice to have. There is a sense of security in it. There is a sense of accomplishment in it. We can be vulnerable. But there's also great things that the Lord does in seasons of great leanness in which what we do see is the purity of God and the excellency of summoning the few. And God has shown in his word that he's quite content to use a few over a multitude. He speaks to the multitude, but he picks 12 and of those 12, the largest assembly that they have at the close of the Lord's tenure was 120 in an upper room, both women and men. So apparently Jesus wasn't all too impressed with multitudes except to press upon them the words of truth. He's speaking to a multitude, but he knows in advance that when it's all said and done, what he will be able to say at least by evidence of a gathering. Huh, I only got 120. Sorry, Dad. But see, his word had gone out. It went into fertile soil. It would be harvested because we know that on that night of the 120 in prayer, waiting upon the Lord for the coming of the Holy Spirit, 
the church multiplied. I mean, it went from 120 to like 3,000 saved. And as you follow the book of Acts, it increased to 10,000. So the Lord can do any with the few that are the 120 that are planted by him and remain diligent, staying awake while they need to be on watch. It's awesome. And you never know who that per se 120 is at any moment in which the Lord says, break out, break through, rise up, harvest here. We've seen that on the beach where all of a sudden, you guys know we don't do a barbecue anymore, right? Yeah, we're cool. And so we've actually, I thought when the barbecue goes away two years ago, we wouldn't see anybody. Chris goes, there'll be people here. And there were, we fed up to 120 out on the beach. Through thick and thin, some of it is hoping for the entertainment of seeing me pulled out by a wave and splashing around. But it's the Lord that's doing that. So in coming back to this with regard to the parable of the mustard seed, the identification that it is a herb, it's the smallest seed of all the herbs that we know of, at least by Middle Eastern um, standards right now. There may be some smaller seeds, but it's clearly an herb and it's clearly something that is doing that, which it is not um, designed to do horticulturally. It can get six feet. I suppose you can have something that rises to eight feet, but it's never a tree. It's just a wispy or strong stocked mustard. And it has blossoms. I'm assuming they're yellow or pale white. But with that, something extraordinarily is happening here in that as it grows, becoming this tree, it says birds of the air are nesting in it. So one of the things we have to understand is the symbolism here. Jesus will make that clear, not necessarily speaking of this, but the birds of the air are always signifying what is a work of Satan. It's not the clean doves. That's a good bird. Bald eagle, good bird. Buzzard, not a good bird. Crow, not a good bird. Those birds are seeking dead things to eat. Eagles are seeking fresh things to eat. Doves, they just like the grain and worms that they can find. But those that seek after carrion, dead things, those are the birds. It's not the singing birds. Oh, look at those pretty birds. And I've never heard a crow sing like a meadowlark. They don't look like a meadowlark. They're actually, crowing is just, it's, it's really obnoxious. There's nothing about them that are appealing. And so what we need to understand is that these aren't pretty birds in the tree. Oh, look at the kingdom of God. That's what he's talking about. This little mm, herbaceous uh, growth. It's a tree. I wonder if there's lemons that we can find too on it. Probably. But that would speak of not those who are with the Lord, but who are contrary. It's designed right now to say, this is a work of the enemy coming into the church. And so when it's taught that this is the work of evangelism, that's really not accurate. And it's not accurate on the premise that it's already identified in this, as an herb, and God doesn't use something like that. When we talk about trees, we talk about palm trees, we talk about 
pomegranates. We talk about palm trees. We talk about um, acacia. We talk about cedar. We talk about things that are massive. Wow, that's a tree. But for this to be looked at as a tree, it's actually a false church that has risen up and it has attracted to it really those things that are simply seeking the dead. That's it. You can't confuse it. It has been, but the, the point being made here is that this mustard tree is one that represents a false church. Greater than the herbs becomes a tree so that the birds of the air, that would be evil, come and nest in its branches. But become make, some make the false presumption that it's the gospel, then guess what happens? Then the presumption is, oh, everything's fine here. The word's going out, worship is ascending, and this is wonderful. And the Lord would say, be aware, beware. Parable of the leaven, another parable he spoke to them. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till it was all leaven. The illustration to use a woman is that this was her area of expertise. This was her domestic vocation. There was no shame to it. Shouldn't be ashamed to it now. We men would be pining away if it weren't for the excellent skills of our wives that have that. They just know how to whip the recipes out, don't they? I mean, I can tell you from 140 pounds when I married, it's Chrissy's recipes that have made me the man that I am. I used to be a good cook, and I realized I haven't got this game at all. So if I can turn over a good hamburger or steak, I've done well. But I cannot put a meal together like she can. She can. It's not, it's not top ramen either. It's like top drawer stuff. Sal, I mean, just it like, it's like the refrigerator opens and everything obeys her. Come, come, be chopped, be minced, come. And things are just happening. And so the parable of the leaven right now is simply saying that this woman knows what she's doing and what it is she's doing. And the leaven indicates from Scripture that this is an adulterated meal. That means that something's been added to it that takes away its purity. Therefore, this picture is church doctrine. So in one, you have the seed that was planted, that indicates that there's a work for harvest that needs to be defended, so don't fall asleep. There's a work right now, according to what we see here and what we've just left, false growth. You can become enamorate, enamorate, ena enamorate, whatever it is. I'm pretty good with words, but not there. <laughs> enamored. <laughs> enamored, not enamorated. That'll be edited tonight. with false growth, and you can be caught off guard with false doctrine. When she puts this leaven in, hides three measures of meal till it was all leavened, it indicates what happens. Paul would address this with the church in Corinth, saying, man, you've seemingly got all the attributes, and there's no denying you've got gifts, but you're misconstruing the responsibility that you have in how you govern this work. That's why we are to be in the defense. It's both exercising grace and it's also exercising 
judicial prudence and saying it's not working right now where you're at and what it is you're doing. So change or you need to find another place. If your intentions are to serve yourself rather than to serve the Lord in the purity of doctrine, but you can't come in here and start telling us one would be in the politics. But see, whenever even these things happen in which the word suspends itself, people hanging on the word, and the voice can't articulate the phrase, that can be a moment in which the Satan just goes, got him with those batteries again. I'm good. I'm good. He knows that, but he forgot it. Stay on alert. Be aware. This is speaking of those things right now in which leaven, which is a picture of sin, Leviticus tells us that they were not to have leaven in their meal. It was to be pure, unadulterated. That was the Lord's idea. Leaven causes what it is infused with to puff up, to ferment. That's the idea. And it's a picture of the flesh. It's easily persuaded to think other of itself than what God says, I want you to know. And so that's where it terminates there in terms of false doctrine. It's when we think we've got something else to add to what God says. I don't want anything added to that bowl. I don't want anything added to my word that has nothing to do with my heart. I don't want you changing pronouns. I do not want you to neuter me as God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. I don't want you to take one part of the triune God and divide him parcel him out. I don't want you to teach that I do not have a bride, that she is not worth dying for, and that I do not have a harvest in which I claim even those who at one time were ready to be bundled and put into the fire. I will not be subject to the whims and biases of men. I will not allow the word of God to demote and extinguish from piety the life of the unborn child. While we pity the casualty in Texas and say, well, that was the worst thing that could ever happen, and we turn our backs on 62 or 63 million babies who had no less of a bloodless of a blood crime done to them, period. Guess what we do? We always go to what seemingly is more comfortable but in the areas that God says as sacred and necessary is the life that I gave at conception to that daughter, to that son. Daughter, son. And so another parable he spoke that we've addressed, false doctrine. All these things Jesus spoke to the multitude in parables. And without a parable, he did not speak to them that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things kept secret from the foundation of the world. Verse 36 through 43, he explains it. We'll just read through it, close out. Jesus sent the multitude away and went to the house. And his disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the tares in the field. Notice of what he's instructed. They're more concerned about what he first taught on. In essence, that's not a bad principle. i got to have more of what it is I don't know. And these guys are going, okay, so going back to the first teaching, can you explain that? Going back to the first teaching, going back to, what does Jesus say? 
your first love. You loved that one, didn't it? That really applied, doesn't it? You've been tired walking with me, haven't you? You've been in a field of multitudes as they've listened to the words that are being planted in their heart, able to save their soul. You know what has been done to change them. You've seen the worst of the worst being brought up to life, and you've seen the best of the best in which the revelation of who they were in their hypocrisy as religious authority, they have been brought low. I'm glad you have an interest in what I've spoken to you first in this. And that's why one thing we can't ever say is, yeah, I heard it, been there, done that. I believe this is my second time in teaching practically the fullness of the entire Bible. But it's only been in two years that it has been substantially recorded. So when I pass on, it'll only be a fragment of actually what I taught. But it will be, I believe, a savory fragment of what the Lord has allowed us to record. Only because of COVID did I become a recording artist. It wasn't in the studio that I wanted. It's the studio that God seated me at. But who knows? All of the archived teachings and broadcasts that will come out like a shotgun blast in those last days when the church is taken out. And so not only will there be an attempt to burn the books and burn the book, but to make sure that none of those archived can survive. You know what they can't do? They don't know yet how to pull out of cyberspace or of computer logins. Those kind, nobody knows. It's out there, and the Lord will return it. And there will be Bibles that will survive. And so in this explanation... He answered and said to them, he who sows the good seed is the son of man. Essentially, that's me. I'm so glad you wanted to return to this story. I'm so glad you weren't caught up into biscuits and pancakes and eggs on this one. That the kitchen wasn't really where your heart was at. It was me. The field is the world. The good seeds are the sons of the kingdom. But the tares are the sons of the wicked one. The sons of the kingdom also will possess the seeds of eternal life. And the sons of the domain of darkness of the wicked one will have seeds leading to eternal damnation. The enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. That's a cool picture. We participate in the harvest in a sense but the reapers are actually going to be those who are appointed by God to do what only God's servants as angels can do. We can't do it. Why? Because there are people that we're going to see in heaven who are going to say, oh my, I would have plucked you out and run over you and burned you as fast as I could find something to run over you with and burn you with. We will. We're going to be surprised well, I think, I mean, maybe that, maybe that won't be an issue, but let's assume that it is. People will be surprised to see us. You're kidding me. You qualified? I did. How? The Lord. We're standing in line for him right now, and I don't think there'll be a line to stand in for him. How he does it, I don't know. But we're going to be surprised because the Lord knows genuinely the tares to pluck, and he knows how to gather 
and he's giving opportunity for one to become the other. But he's saying, I do not want you, though, as wheat, to become influenced nor a part of what they do, what they're about. You're entangled with them now. Untangle yourself. But don't forsake them in the truth that can change them into who you are. Pray for them. And so therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of this age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and those who practice lawlessness, and will cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And that's what the Lord speaks as a narration and summation of the parable. Can we hear the terrors one again, Lord? I'm so glad you asked. I can shorten it up just like this. And that's what he did. Beware the terrors. The birds of the air, the leaven, the mustard. Beware. Be aware. False Christians... For 2 Corinthians 11, you can read through it. Galatians, a false gospel, chapter 1, verses 6, you can read through that. Revelation, chapter 2, verses 9. Antichrist, he's coming. Maybe he's on the scene. Don't know. But he can't do anything while the church is here. We're on guard. 